Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. Jeremy Knops carries the important role of managing director at Colead, a not for profit committee designed to promote inclusive and sustainable agriculture. With co-lead members from all around the world, Jeremy leverages his background in agriculture, economics, and leadership development to help shape the future of farmers in low and medium income countries. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jeremy, on Agri Insider. It's a huge pleasure to have you on the show with us. Uh, You have a lot of intersecting points within your organization between entrepreneurship, agriculture, international. I'd like to unpack all of that today, but thought we'd first start with a little question about yourself. You could just introduce yourself to our audience. We'd love that. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Alicia. Good morning and good morning to to everybody. Thanks. uh, Thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. So my name's uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Knops. I'm uh, the managing director of CoLead, uh, the committee linking entrepreneurship, uh, development, and agriculture. I'm uh, 30, 38 years old. Uh, I'm a Belgian uh, citizen, uh, father of two young daughters. Um, my dad's Belgian. My mum's British. Um, I studied uh, for the most. Uh, was part of my life and studied, worked, lived uh, in in Belgium, in Brussels. My, uh, I'm married. Uh, my wife is uh, is Mexican. So that's really in a in a very short nutshell uh, uh, who who I am, and uh, and yeah, really uh, interested to, to to try to to bring uh, some of our perspectives to 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 your questions and to the audience. Thank you. Uh, quite an international family. I guess it had to be in the job as well, right? If <laughs> if you have the, the British, the Mexican, the Belgium, it's, uh, yeah, you need to also work in the international space. Kind of reminds me of myself, if I'm honest. Um, also a dual, dual passport and um, married to a South African. So uh, that, that resonates with me. You built an impressive career in agri-foods. You know, we've talked kind of offline as well about your journey into this industry, but I thought you could maybe share with the audience what what were some of the factors and and what was that journey like um, that got you into the agri-food space? Yeah, thanks. uh, Thanks, Alicia. As, as I told you before, I mean, uh, I think there was nothing really that pre- predestined me to, to really be involved in, 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 in the sector. And I think that th- there was kind of one, one major factor that, that, that really influenced and uh, convinced me in, in, in getting, uh, getting involved uh, in, in this industry. Um, it took place during my studies, uh, really. So I, I, I studied... Uh, in a in a business school business engineering uh here, here in belgium and, and during my studies i had the opportunity to um uh to also study in in lima in peru uh for for uh slightly a, a bit more than a semester and and during my studies in 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 peru and lima while it was also in a business school there was a a, a specific course there on, on agribusiness it was also quite interesting to to see how uh, 
uh, kind of top business school in in Lima, what uh, was shaping some of its courses in function, or depending on the on, on the overall priorities of of the economy, and and clearly with with kind of the potential of the agri-food sector in 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 Peru, and uh, and the strength of the sector still still today, it did did make perfect sense to have those sets of skills uh, be, being taught uh, right uh, um, starting from university and and even before that. So that was kind of my first uh, first contact, I, w- I, w- I would say. Um, and linked to that, d- during the studies, we had the opportunity to, to also work uh, with with micro, uh, my, my very, really small informal businesses in the outskirts of Lima, uh, where I kind of realized also probably the um, kind of core skills that even as as a student, I I, I could be bringing trying to 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 make a, a difference, even if if small on on small scale. Um, and and following that experience in Peru, I, I managed to get a scholarship uh, to to continue my, my to do really my master master thesis in in Guatemala, and that was uh, in in collaboration with a, a Belgian foundation called uh, Durabilis, um which uh, was setting up a, a, a which was making kind of big investments. In the region of, of Antigua, Guatemala, and I, and I stayed there for a couple of months, working with them within a, a cooperative of, of farmers uh, producing and, and exporting uh, loquats, uh, a tropical fruit, and 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 that 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 experience uh, really was the, really the trigger um, for me to to kind of realise that this is a a sector uh, that is of of paramount importance, um, of course worldwide for the, the reasons we we all know, but but. There's an, an additional perspective, of course, when it comes to low and, and middle-income countries, because of the because of the, the the size, the proportionality of the sector in terms of employment, uh, and 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 therefore contribution to poverty alleviation and and a number of other uh, SDGs, as, as we'll have the opportunity to to talk about. So that that was really the trigger for me, and and, and I would say, although I wasn't um, initially uh, uh, when I grew up necessarily attracted to the agricultural sector uh, that there was still another element uh, that two elements I would say first of all during my studies and 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 and, and even before that there, there was this willingness of of trying through my work to uh, to bring a, a positive contribution to help to support uh, so I, I hesitated a lot with with a medical career uh, for, for for instance um, so so that's an additional element and and the third element is is that I grew up in a in a family of of, of entrepreneurs. So my, my grandparents set up a, a company in, in in Belgium in the cosmetic sector. The company was uh, taken over by my parents. So I really grew up in a kind of uh, SME uh, environment um, from since since I was a kid, like uh, uh, working in. Uh, uh, in 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 the business helping my parents and 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 that also forged a certain relationship and mentality uh, t- towards the economy and and the key role of 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 SMEs, I guess. So that's where basically you you have the different branches of co-lead coming coming into play. Uh, this intersection between agriculture, entrepreneurship, uh, development. Absolutely. Uh, what, what a fascinating journey. And I think um, it's not every day you get to speak with people who came from an entrepreneurial family, first of all, that's quite unique. Um, but also, we're in a completely different industry, but actively pursued a career in helping developing nations and, and, and also 
agriculture. So it's an honestly, it's a really fascinating transition. I, I'm sure your your family wanted you to come into the family business, or or maybe you you had other thoughts as a kid, right, um, as to what you wanted to be. Yeah, well, I was as I told, I wasn't really sure, but it was more like this willingness to to yeah to to have this this feeling of 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 really contributing to something to to supporting to uh, to helping uh, but but at, at all levels i would say i'm i have been and i'm still also involved uh, in, in parallel to my uh, role as as managing director of colead with the family business uh, i would say actively as a as a as one of the directors also of of the company of course not not involved in in, in all the day-to-day -day, uh, operations but still following very closely uh, with with my parents and, and and with the management in place, uh, the, the evolution and and the key strategic directions uh, the company uh, the company is taking. Um, but yes, I mean, it, since 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 I was a kid, it was really I was always very interested in in history, also, but also kind of hesitated uh, uh, at some point, um, as I told you, with uh, with with really a, a medical career. Uh, that that was kind of a uh, yeah one of these turning points in 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 life uh i guess but with, with without any regrets today of course so uh, I'm, I'm 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 extremely uh grateful for to to be able to have the opportunity to uh, do a, a a job where there's a a true sense of meaning and purpose and i think yeah. in today's world uh, it's important i agree with you and i think it is extremely meaningful work um, and I, I think it's interesting what you said. I mean, coming from a family business myself, I think the S, you know, working in the SME space, um, but especially being in a family that has a business, you really gain a unique perspective. And you just mentioned this, um, you know, on the way the world works. You see it from a young age, you know, you're hearing about, oh, the balance sheets and, and how does everything work financially? And you just grow up with a very different input or insight. And I think, you know, it's, you mentioned that it kind of guided you right into your career, these firsthand experiences you had through your family. So mm -hmm. I, I, what I'd like to understand, Peru was your first time in Latin America back then, right? Yep. I was okay. 2021. Yeah. Okay. So when you were in, you know, this was a first time in a developing nation. And, and I guess back then too, Peru was still trying to establish itself as a major fruit grower, um, you know, was making moves to play in the international space. What were some of these kind of insights you were you were seeing on the ground when you were there? And, and I guess what you know, when you took that first agribusiness course, what were some epiphanies you were having having back then? And they may or may not relate to kind of the family business element. But um, I'm kind of just curious to see what 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 you were learning on the ground back then. Yeah, well, what, what I was learning really on the ground when it when, when it comes to, to kind of the, the, the agri food sector was was more theoretical. Because my, my real contact, I would say, first hand uh, tangible contact with, with the sector was was more in Guatemala with uh, with a cooperative. But from a, a, a theoretical point of view, what what really fascinated me was was the complexity and 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 the numerous branches uh, that were touched upon through uh, the the agricultural uh, sector and, and say agri food in, in in particular. I mean, it, it is it, it it is extremely complex. Uh, you, you're working with with, na with, with nature, um, uh, and at the same time, you're of course trying to uh, apply kind of the 
some of the best practices known um, or which have been developed in, in other sectors of, of the economy, but you can't necessarily apply them exactly in the same way because of this link uh, and, 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 and beyond the link because of the nature of, of agriculture uh, with everything that it, that it entails. So that, that was really kind of for me the, 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 the eye-opener um and and what what really attracted me and uh the diversity in terms of of jobs of types of of knowledges ranging from scientific uh, practical um managerial um and 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 yes um the kind of um, I, I i i really grew aware of the fact that it is a sector that if i wanted to try and bring a small contribution it did make perfect sense to 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 try and work in in this sector because of the numerous dimensions uh being on food security environmental protection social empowerment um poverty alleviation uh, that you could be uh, uh touching touching upon so that 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 was kind of at a, at a theoretical level and then at a more practical level in in guatemala that's um where i uh, really faced the kind of um, reality of what it means uh, to um, not necessarily have 100% control of, of what you do all the time as a, as a farmer because of a, uh, a number of, of external environments, uh, external factors. Um, and, and that being said, the kind of vulnerable positions you can very quickly be in um, if you don't necessarily have the right strategies uh, in place or if some kind of strategic choices are not made uh, from, from early on. So um, the typical example is uh, the risk of uh, over-reliance on, 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 on selling only one type of product to one type of market um, with a uh, a continuous uh, evolution in terms of what these markets require and the types of investments that are required at production and different stages of, of, the, of the value chain and, and, and that kind of complexity brought down to the reality, the socioeconomic reality of an individual farmer in a cooperative in, 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 in Guatemala can mean uh, uh, from one day to the other, having revenue, not having revenue, so food on the table, not, not don't have any food on the table, can you put, pay for education, uh, healthcare, uh, that kind of direct link. Um, and, and that really, I mean, appeared to me, I mean, I had the opportunity, of course, to, to, to work with different cooperatives, different, different farmers, different producers. And, and I had the, the, this, this, this conversation one day with, with, a, with a woman who told me basically she, she was growing part of her production, small scale were, were French beans. And, and, and she was really uh, kind of desperate when, when explaining to me that she couldn't really sustain uh, the kind of um, rate of, of rejection of her produce uh, that was uh, bought by uh, an intermediary and then going into a processing uh, pack house uh, for, uh, to be sold domestically and, and internationally. But the, the main reason for, for, for this rejection wasn't really the the fact that the product could be eaten or not, it was, it had mainly to do with, with what these are called marketing standards. So uh, the size, the shape, uh, etc. And um, that kind of triggered really a, 
in me uh, consciousness of, of okay yeah that, that there's something we have to try to do here because it, to, to a certain respect it doesn't doesn't really make sense and and she and she told me she she, she i mean for her the choice was okay i'm, I'm going to probably have to switch back to other types of, of crops uh, maybe look back into into marijuana um which she had stopped doing uh, because she had this opportunity on french beans but because of the kind of um um un lack of security in terms of revenues that this was bringing because of the fact that it was extremely difficult to comply on a regular basis on on a number of requirements uh yes she she she, she was not uh, it was not sustainable and again the, these here we're talking about requirements uh, which are, are t marketing types of requirements that the product can be eaten i mean uh, it's not a, a problem about the, the intrinsic quality uh, in terms of uh, nutrition or, or, or food safety so that yeah those are the kind of uh, moments uh, stories and uh, that that made me realize that that that's probably something to do uh, but we <laughs> yeah no, it's it's extremely moving and you hear that story time and time again. I mean, I experienced it firsthand. My my family has a, a commercial apple farm and, you know, you send your fruit to market and, and you think, oh, hey, my job's done. You know, you put it in bins. It's at the distributors uh, in the distributors possession. But what you don't really or what people don't realize is that you're actually still an owner of those goods, although you don't physically see them, have them, especially in the Apple industry for an entire year sometimes until they decide to pack it and sell it and move it. And then you just get some sort of liquidation based on the quality, the selling point, et cetera, at the time. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, like you said, it's very, um, you feel like you're out of control. Like that mm -hmm. vulnerability is so real uh and and, just, and that's just the sales side let alone the mother nature vulnerability element right which which um is a whole nother beast of its own so i think that's a really interesting case study because this this sounds like a smaller um like single shareholder farmer yeah no no it wasn't yeah uh, we're talking about small scale uh, individual farmer that was yeah. part of a group not even sure if it was a formalized group or cooperative but kind of really the, the small scale farmer in a, in a vulnerable, uh, kind of a vulnerable uh, position. Yeah. And those are the ones that get hit the hardest, but need, need the support the most, right. Is the ones that, um, yeah, are, 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 don't have the same resources or even the vertical integration that these big players have. And, um, that's a gap in the industry that I I'd love to unpack with you maybe a bit, a bit later as well. But before we dive into that, um, could you tell us a bit more about CoLead? So what do you do as an organization? Where do you kind of sit in the agri-food space? Yeah, of course. Thanks, uh, Alicia. So, so as I said, committee linking entrepreneurship, agriculture and, and, and development. Um, we're, we're a private sector, not-for-profit association. We're set up all, almost uh, no, we set up 50, 50 years ago. So the vision at the time of bringing together um, producers, uh, traders, processors of, of fruit and veg in, in low uh, and middle uh, income countries. We grouped under Africa, Caribbean, Pacific uh, countries um, and, and, and European uh, companies. And, and, and the idea of the association at the time was really to have that kind of a, a body uh, to make sure that that trade flows could be, uh, on the one hand, maintained, but of course also improved improved not only in terms of volumes and, and, and quality but of course in terms of practices uh, being uh, implemented uh, throughout throughout the, the the value chain um 
our, our mission today is is really kind of resonating with this fact of the recognition by a, a number of donors amongst which uh, and in, international institutions uh, amongst which of course the, the european union the organization of africa caribbean and pacific states uh, bilateral aid agencies uh, un agencies of, of the strategic importance basically of of the agriculture agri-food and and even in particular the horticultural sector in in achieving sdgs so, so today we really define our mission as uh, uh, facil facilitating implementing all activities uh, to, to make sure really uh, that we can uh, increase the the contribution of the agriculture and, and the horticulture sector in particular to achieving SDGs, and and our angle uh, to to achieve that is is really by focusing on on the human capital, uh, and so that that's growing people, uh, that's kind of a, our, our vision encapsulated in in into words is that we we need to this continuous uh, investment in the human capital in people at all stages throughout value chains in light of uh, the challenges. Um, of course, we, we, we're trying to overcome, but also uh, in light of, of the opportunities which are which are out there. Uh, so, so that's really in a nutshell. And, and, and so in practice, basically today, we we, we kind of a hybrid organization in a sense that we, we as I said, we're a private sector not-for-profit association with a membership base. Um, a lot of our members are, are in sub-Saharan Africa um, and, 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 and in Europe in terms of uh, location. Uh, but but uh, in, in practice, our, our action, uh, we, I would say, goes well beyond uh, the, the individual interests of, of our members and, and all members, uh, company directors, which are uh, or, or association managers or service providers, which are within the association, sh shared this really um, uh, belief uh, that what, what, what they're doing on a daily basis uh, does contribute to, to the common good. So that that's really the... The, the starting point. So it's using the benefits of an association being really anchored in in the sector and and with the specificity here on our DNA is in is in fruit and veg, although our activities go go beyond, uh, but working really well beyond the direct and individual interests of of our membership base and that's the recognition of our financial partners, um, which entrust us with um, different programs. Uh, that I would say all, all have in common, of course, this this work on, on the human capital and capacity building on technical assistance on a large scale um, for uh, farmers, managers, uh, inspectors, service providers, uh, the kind of entire ecosystem. Uh, and today our activities, I would say, uh, extend to a, uh, to a kind of an important number of, 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 of EU uh, partner countries, defined as low, low and middle uh, income countries. Um, but that all these programs and interventions usually have as an entry point to, to facilitate market access. Facilitate market access so it means supporting uh, compliance to regulatory and, and private uh, requirements. And, and we do that, of course, by, by monitoring, identifying them, um, understanding, and then translating them into kind of actionable activities that we can conduct with directly cooperatives and SMEs, but also with competent authorities and uh, the ecosystem uh, uh, of of the sectors to make sure that the skills competencies are are, are there uh, within within the value chains in in each country. Um, yeah, so that, so that's yeah. a bit uh, uh, the kind of <laughs> elevator elevator pitch or, or or slightly more than that. Uh, but so yes, in, in in practice, it's a lot of kind of we we have, I would say three main categories of of, of activities. We have more uh, an analytical set of 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 departments, which is really geared towards 
um, this uh, monitoring analysis on the market access part, but that's regulation standards, trends, data, um, innovation, uh, research outputs. So that's one, one part of our work. And that of course feeds into all the activities that we really pursue directly with partners in the field, in the countries, in terms of technical assistance and vocational training. And then the third part of our work, because we firmly believe in, in partnerships, uh, collaboration is really by, um, by, by uh, leveraging, leveraging impact through networks and, and alliances uh, with, with organizations, institutions, initiatives uh, that share the, the same vision uh, um, uh, and, 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 and which are complementary or, or, or work in synergy with, with us to basically increase impact because, because today there's a, there's a huge need in light of, uh, in light of what we're trying to contribute to. And again, this big frame are, are is framed by, by, by sustainable development goals and, and more, more precisely, I would say poverty reduction, food security, nutrition, environmental protection, just to name them, huh? but, uh, in light of the scale. Uh, of, of those challenges, uh, partnerships are, are absolutely uh, fun fundamental. Yeah, re really, really fascinating. And, and like we had said earlier, very, very meaningful work. And I think you definitely can drive impact on both sides, right? On the European side, helping companies become more competent to meet difficult EU regulation and standards, but also, you know, the actual um, farmers or production side, helping them figure out how to even get into these markets, empowerment. Um, you know, there's so many things I can think of where a lot of developing nations need um, some support and some real kind of people who understand it from the inside and can help build these companies up or these, these you know, like you said, with the Guatemalan example, these kind of single shareholder farmers who, you know, need to look at, at improving their business model. So, um, yeah, re really fascinating and meaningful work. I, I, I'm a person who likes case studies and kind of visualization. And for context, a lot of our viewership at Tridge is actually also um, kind of smaller shareholder farmers out of Africa as well. We have a big kind of viewership and usership out of Africa as well as Latin America. Um, if I am a, let's say, small scale you know, bean grower, like with the woman, I think that's a great example in, in, in Guatemala. What, what is the kind of process for, for getting help from co-lead? And then we don't have to go into detail, but you know, what does that no, look the, like? You knock course, on the door, you, what, what's, what's access, yeah. what, what kind of access do I get to where what? Yeah. No, great, great. Thanks. Thanks, Alicia. So, so the, the, the first step really, and today, as I said, I mean, the, the, the core part of, of, of our work when it comes to technical assistance and training is, is in say, Caribbean, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and a couple of countries in, in, in the Pacific. But when it comes to that, basically everything is demand-driven. So the, the first step is to kind of formulate uh, uh, an application, an application for support, which you can find on our website or even through an email. Uh, but there needs to be kind of this initial first step taken by uh, an operator. That's the first step. Um, it's a fundamental principle that guides all our actions. We, 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 we don't, uh, we, for, for us, it's a precondition to ensure the kind of minimum level of involvement uh, and, and the capacity to absorb any type of support that could be provided uh, following, following that initial application for support. So once the application is received, we go through it, we 
um, analyze it in internally. Then we discuss with uh, with with the operator, um, and uh, we 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 kind of determine what type of activities or issues, challenges, or opportunities we can uh, work on together. Uh, and so we build a, a development project uh, with an action plan, uh, a budget, um, and and in there you'll have different types of activities. Just of course the, the the first level of activity is of course guiding uh, the operator in the kind of vast amount of resources that we've been building over the past 20 years and which are out there open access e-learning platform uh, there's a, a a library with uh, a high number of technical references we have a, a regulation monitoring platform we have um, some analytics uh, on analyzing kind of uh, trade data evolution so it's guiding the operator in, in how to make the best use out of um, these existing resources. First level. Then the second level of support, I would say, is, is the possibility to participate in in collective uh, capacity building uh, activities, uh, being being on site when we group together uh, representatives from uh, different uh, cooperatives or MSMEs and organise a, a collective training session uh, through a couple of days on a specific topic. Um, we work in, in in kind of different big big areas: uh, food safety, plant health business, environmental protection, social empowerment, uh, processing, uh, sustainable production. Um, so we, we have big, big, big topics uh, where, in, through which we, we, we have a, a range, under which we have a range of, of training programs uh, uh, which are established. And then the, so following usually the participation in, in collective um, capacity building activities, then we'll, we'll try to, to uh, match uh, kind of coach so that there will be kind of on-site follow-up on how the skills acquired during uh, during those uh, collective capacity building um, uh, sessions are, are implemented on-site and to guide uh, the different persons within uh, within the, um, the the organization, the company, or or, or independently from the type of in the organization on, on how to implement it. And and the third level, third or fourth, is really kind of the definition of a number of tailor-made uh, support activities. Uh, which go more in depth uh, on the specificities uh, of the issues or on the opportunities uh, which are identified by, by the operator. And, and that's really through technical assistance experts going on site and working hand in hand uh, with, uh, uh, with the manager or with the supervisor or uh, whoever the person uh, might, might, might be in function of the uh, um, topic that's being worked upon. And so we, we have a budget and then we implement this together we monitor results so that that's in practice the kind of typical trajectory uh, under 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 kind of a, a couple of our programs that we we we, we are currently uh, managing and that's an example of the work with uh, an msme but that work is also being done with business membership organizations competent authorities uh, but respecting always a number of core principles demand driven there's always also a definition of key roles and responsibilities on both sides Usually there's a cost sharing element uh, in it as well, which is also uh, fun fundamental. Um, yeah, and it's really a, a kind of co-creation exercise and, and, and working hand in hand. We have a very strong non-substitution principle. So all our actions are guided really by, to the best of our ability, bring the person in the best possible condition to make the best informed decision based on their situations. Uh, we, we are not... Uh, we it is not possible for us i mean it is not our role and it's not our vision on how to work uh, with, with partners to um dictate or tell uh, what 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 has to be done there's a multiplicity of factors 
of uh, relationship towards risk um, that we, 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 we simply recognize. And so our, our, our goal, our, our, our framing position is really to, to enable people to make best informed decisions. Hmm. That, that, that sounds like a slogan from Tridge. <laughs> we, we also like to <laughs> enable the industry to make more informed decisions. And, and I think there's so many ways that that can be done, right? And, I, and I, I really appreciate that case study because it really brought to life to me how I, you know, if I were to start a small business or if I was in Africa or whatever, right, I could actually really gain access and, and a lot of hands-on help. I mean, what you just described sounds almost too good to be true. I mean, you're getting real on the ground, even support at times. Um, that, yes. That's, yes. that's amazing. Um, yeah. So, and and wow. so our challenge, our challenge really is, is how to kind of bring it to the next level, uh, working on a larger scale. We are, I don't, I will not use the, the word overwhelmed, but we receive a lot of applications for support given our size as an organization, our budgets, and even with the continued commitment and trust uh, from a number of financial partners, still today we're facing too many demands. Uh, and so the whole idea of how we are working internally is to kind of always make sure that we have or, or, or to build up uh, our, our resources and our organization in a way that we at least always have a first level of support to provide or a first orientation. So there are two key words we usually use when explaining also who, who we are as an organization. We define ourselves as a network, different communities, and we can put people in, in, in contact with each other being, uh, uh, businesses for, for B2B uh, relationships, but being also to identify expertise in specific areas so we can bring people uh, together, we can connect people. So th there's a network dimension and a toolbox dimension. Um, and, and we have to be in a position where we can always bring a kind of first level of, of support. Then for the rest, it's also up to us to be able to continue to convince um, um, decision makers of the importance of the industry, the sector, um, especially uh, given kind of the, the current uh, uh, and highly disrupted uh, uh, environment uh, and, and to continue uh, to have these investments uh, because uh, these are investments and this is work that, that goes beyond, uh, again, each individual situation. It's, it's contributing really to the, to the common good. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is a big... I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of benefits even for the demand side, let's say the European buy side. Um, it's just a matter of, of getting it out there. And, and hopefully our podcast can, can help with that. <laughs> you just said something really interesting, though. You said the current disruptive environment. Um, do you mind shedding a bit more light on what you mean with that? Uh, you have me really curious. Yeah. Well, I, I, I won't be revealing anything. Uh... Anything extraordinary? Huh? I think we 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 we've been witnessing during during the past couple of years uh, a number of um, shocks or external events which have uh, uh, which are, are are still currently reshaping uh, reshaping the world uh, basically, and 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 of course this affects the the agricultural sector, and 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 will affect and is affecting some countries uh, in, in in different proportions. Um, if, if we take a step back, um, 
we 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 of course see on a, on a yearly basis and, and analyze and and feel and perceive and listen to the feedback of course in 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 relation to climate change this is not something new that this has been there for for a number of years but we do see increasingly kind of so the evidence of 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 the impacts uh, that this is uh, this is bringing and this is provoking and, and and kind of urgency in terms of response we should be uh, we should be bringing as a as a society to uh, uh, to, to 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 finding solutions um but but this is uh, th this was there this was there for a number of years and a number of scientists have been have been alerting on this now of course which has come up on top of that and if i take here if i if i look more more precisely into part of part of our our work which is looking really at those also export trade flows towards the the, the european union we've had uh, over the past i would say 15 20 years kind of a continuous uh, uh evolution of 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 the regulatory uh uh, regulatory context, uh, which has been accelerating during the past couple of years, we might have the opportunity to to talk about that. Uh, but so it's not only regulations, but also requirements really from the private sector, from um, through through private standards. So that that has been a continuous challenge. We've had Brexit, which has a, a kind of also introduced a, a kind of a, a disruption uh, and, and 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 distortion, uh, looking at the kind of. European continent view on, on, on as a major player today in the agri-food sector as an importer exporter of of of, of products. Uh, we've had uh, COVID-19. I don't need to, to go into details. Uh, since we, 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 we still there's still today huh, for some value chain, some supply chain still kind of absorbing the shocks and some, some of the delays that were provoked during from the pandemic and, and the disruptions throughout throughout supply chains. Then of course, have the war in, in Ukraine with, with also the specific con con uh, consequences for 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 the agricultural uh, uh, sector. And, and so, just to name a couple of these these elements, it's kind of recipe for, to a certain regard, for for, for a perfect storm. Where this brought us really to kind of increasingly be looking at uh, understanding also what was happening in different parts of the world and and and, and joining kind of a global fresh produce alliance with actors from, from all continents, because there was kind of this a common uh, recognition of, of the urgency to, to better understand um, the first and, and for most basic dimension of, of what we're talking about to, to ensure kind of a minimum economic viability of, of a number of, of value chains, uh, which has not been the case for everybody across, across sectors um, and, and which uh, is, is still not, not, not the case. And, and that requires really a core cool questioning on, on how uh, we want to, tomorrow, tomorrow's world to, to work, given the strategic importance of, of the sector. So, so that's an example really of, of the type of work that we, we, we're trying to continue to do to sensitize on, 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 on the kind of overall and, and hits with a specific view on, on fruit and veg, but the same can be said for, for other subsectors of, 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 of the agri-food sector, of the kind of importance again uh, for the world uh, for ourselves as a society uh, of of the fresh produce sector uh, uh, contributing to to really the common good uh, and so this is uh, this is what I refer to I mean when, when talking about a highly disrupted environment and and, and this comes of course and here I, I've just touched upon the economic dimension I, I'm not going to go back into the kind of several SDGs but still I mean when it comes to, to climate change I mean again there's a very specific uh, case here for, for agriculture where we, we, we see operators that are 
he's the first victims. Um, but we also know that uh, agriculture is, is one of the major contributors uh, in terms of uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but also that agriculture is a core part of the solution. And so we have right. kind of this uh, triptych, <laughs> um, which is, is very, very uh, specific. And then another dimension that we're looking uh, on, and just to, name, just, just, to, to just name it, is, is also given the nature of, of some of the value chains we, we're working on and the different contexts we, we're working in. Um, there, there's on, on the social side, we, we have kind of a, and kind of self-reflecting internally as an organisation through our activities on how we can really improve on on, on gender equality, given the, the position of women in many of these value chains in many of these organisations. Um, and so this is also, we believe, uh, an area where where there's huge potential to, to do better, to do more, not only from a kind of um, uh, defensive or protective perspective in making sure that uh, women uh, are, are, are equal uh, and receive equal opportunities and, and are not subjected to uh, um, sexual harassment, uh, discrimination, etc., but also in terms of uh, potential to, to do better as a sector. Uh, because evidence uh, does show uh, that when you have women, uh, and of course, there are different case studies and different situations, but where women are in, in more managerial positions in organizations, we do have uh, organizations that do function better, uh, comply uh, better with uh, regulations, etc., etc., etc. So in terms of untapping also the, the full potential, that this seems to us kind of a, a fundamental uh, aspect to be, uh, to be increasing our efforts on. I like that you said that last point about the the, the female empowerment element, and, and not because I'm a, a female myself even, but because um, it's a, just a small anecdote, not to sidetrack, but I was recently at a, at a finance conference, um, and I was shocked. I think there was maybe 1% female. There was almost no female speakers in the workshops anywhere. Um, they all, the only females really present were taking some sort of HR kind of background role. And I, it kind of made me self-reflect on the agri industry because comparatively speaking, I, I've met many amazing female leaders um, all the way from the farm level through to corporate. Uh, I, I think, you know, this space is highly suitable to women, although, although not um, initially people maybe don't associate, you know, the farmer with a female, but it's actually incredible comparing it to just my, my anecdotal experience at this finance conference, how women are really successful in this, this industry. Um, yeah. So you really, uh, did you want to add something to that point? No, 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 clearly. No, I agree. I agree. Okay. Fully, fully um, yeah. And I think you, 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 and I and also want to thank you and compliment you because you really, highlighted i think like the perfect storm that we're facing at the moment in the industry i mean you touched on economic viability sustainability and correlation with climate change and i, I really like the point you made that it's not so linear it's not just oh agriculture is the problem but like you said it's, it's part of the solution and getting that narrative out there more you talked about covid 19 war i mean this is a really complex time um and I think, yeah, you, you highlighted it really well. Looking to the future, though, how would you like to see or how do you see potentially international trade evolving or how do you see some of those factors you just mentioned playing out on the industry in the future? Hmm. Ah, 
thank, thanks for the but th this is a complex one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a complex we, we know question. you don't have a crystal ball there jeremy no worries no no no, no. <laughs> um but but i'll take a step back before i try to to to, to address directly your your, your question so for my side of course and it's again it's not, not a major revelation but we talk a lot about resilience 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 i mean when there's a lot of change the capacity to adapt and manage change so we throughout our work this is something that that is becoming increasingly clear that we need to kind of transversely integrate that resilience building resilience building and resilience mean you have different levels i mean first of all it's always the, this capacity to absorb uh, a major shock or a major change from one day to the other and and we have kind of, we've had the extreme situation with with with, with covid um so capacity to absorb a shot or a natural disaster from what it, there's nothing nothing there what, what what do you do the second level is of course the capacity to to adapt to adapt to um a more kind of changing environment that that is there uh, that so a problem or a change has has arised and so there are a number of practices that you need to change we need to maybe diversify uh um, so some of your products, some of your markets, uh, change your production. So, but the third level is is the transformational level, um, which is for the, more, the more complex one. And some of of the kind of disrupting factors that I've been mentioning have not translated yet into transformational decisions at different levels. And that that's the kind of key. And, and that's when really be looking at completely revisiting some of the business models some of the ways we need to kind of systemically um, look at things differently uh, look at how value is shared uh, look at how what 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 do we put a price on what i mean and and, and those are kind of the more transformational uh changes that 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 are needed which which will require um a range of elements, uh, of course, starting from, from investments, commitments, but investments, it's usually always said, so it, it's, it's in the human capital, it's in infrastructure, but it's also in relation to, to innovation. And, and I think it's a key key element that, that we have. We, we've seen also during the past couple of years, in terms of outputs from research and innovation, so some major developments. Now, one of the challenges that we feel and that we see in kind of different environments, different contexts around the world is kind of the capacity for already existing uh, and, 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 and proven uh, uh, innovations, which are maybe in some parts of the world, not, not so much innovations, but how to make them available. So there is a clear need to continue to invest in research and innovation, but these are cycles which usually take 10, 15, 20 years. And, 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 and today there's, there's an urgency that does require also us looking into how to make more available what's already there uh, for all. Now, to come back to, 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 to your question, um, if, if we look, I mean, I, I, it is impossible like, to have a kind of truly global overview, but the, 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 there are kind of some, some generalities which are being said, I mean, in terms of international trade, like going back to kind of more direct, short distribution, um, uh, distribution channels which would entail that yes international trade for some commodities would be would be more limited given certain so consumer or, or, or regulatory uh, initiatives we still must see and analyze if, if that really really plays out uh, given basically uh, that the needs on the consumer side and the opportunities uh, the, the, these this trade represents for for operators uh, around the world what, what I can say more specifically for on, on the African continent and sub-saharan Africa 
we, we've seen a very dynamic, I mean, if we look specifically here at the fresh produce sector, we've seen a very dynamic sector over the past 10 years. Uh, so, I mean, uh, production uh, has increased, uh, quality has increased, sales are increasing on all markets, being domestic, regional, international. Uh, so, so it is uh, extremely dynamic. More, more processing, more added value uh, is, 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 uh, um, is being brought uh, at, at source. Uh, so in, in all that respect, uh, there, there are a lot of positives in, in, in what is happening there, but there are some kind of underlying uh, dynamics which, which which will affect the kind of relationship of uh, companies on the African continent uh, with, with, with other continents. One of the key opportunities, of course, in sub-Saharan Africa relies directly on, on the domestic and, and kind of exchanges between countries on the African continent and between regions on, on the African continent. And in that sense, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement would clearly play uh, plays a, a, a key and, and, and promising role. But it will, of course, imply some challenges on the, the you know, to be on the, on the quality infrastructure and, and, and regulatory side. But um, so, yes. Uh, challenging periods for, for international trade and, and we've seen some extremes during the past couple of years when it came to when we talk about international trade we talk about logistics um so some extreme situations when it when it when it when it came to logistics uh which are progressively of course being being resolved um we don't necessarily ourselves here perceive and we don't not not ask i mean especially from an african perspective we, we, we always adopt this view of, of the complementarity between these different trades and what this can bring. Um, if, if we look at usually this view uh, of, of it's bringing back into perspective also these export trade flows in terms of importance when you look at total production and the amount of produce that's being kept within the country and the kind of positives and the spillover effects from those trade flows with, with other countries. And the definition of spillover effects that we can't always measure them so we're looking more into that to also understand in terms of skills what are all the positives that are being brought uh from, from these uh, international international exchanges um so yeah that doesn't directly answer your question because it is a, a a highly complex one but it does shed a bit of light on 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 kind of a perspective from from sub-saharan africa more more specifically and and the fresh produce sector so huge opportunities which are still there of course some big challenges but not uh, unsurmountable, but but we need to continue to work. Uh, I think a lot of things we, we know what to do. It's about scaling up, doing it more quickly, uh, and having kind of clear also policy uh, policy environment and, and and guidelines to to make sure to stay on course basically because things take time. We facing we face by urgency, but also change takes time, and so there's there's a paradox there that we need to to deal with. And the relationship to time that is something that I find in in also our world and our society extremely fascinating. Um, which has been also distorted uh, during the past uh, uh, 20 and, 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 and maybe with another evolution during the past five years. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that fast changing environment, um, there is a paradox there. But really, but really what I, I think I kind of heard out of what you just said is that the future is happening today, right? I mean, it, you can you can look into the future, make predictions, but really it's, and I think we're in a time of change. Like you said, it's a turbulent time. Uh, the decisions we're making now, I think will have bigger impact on the future than even five, 10 years ago, let's say pre-COVID. I didn't have the sense that, you know, the, the, the playing field was there for the taking or the playing field was there for change. Um, I feel like there is a big energy of change all across sectors, right? But especially in agriculture. Uh, and a big part of that, you know, 
a, a key element of change is, is what you said, the systemic element. Um, and, and you're not the first person to say that actually on Agri Insider, you know, a lot of people come back, professors, uh, people have been in the industry for, you know, 40 plus years and say it has to come from a systemic level. Uh, and, and, you know, what is the systemic level? It's often government and policy, right? So you can see where, where I'm going with this. Um, I ask myself a lot right now, and this is the part that a, a particular topic that really interests me. You know, what is the the government thinking or the European Union or let's, you know, let's hone in on the European Union and the UN, you know, what are they, how do they see the future and how, how do we kind of, um, I guess, adapt to some of the newer policy shifts. So we, you know, we've had a lot with like um, social welfare, you know, the implementation of SMETA and all these kind of different things. We've had um, food safety regulation. So we've had all these regulatory bodies kind of appear across agriculture. I think most recently we're seeing um, policy potentially coming into play within Europe around sustainability. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, you're, you're part, part of your mission statement is helping um, implement UN sustainable development goals. Uh, so my question to you would be is, is you know, <laughs> as much as we, we need to be more sustainable and we need to improve our practices. And I love that there's energy for change and we're, you know, we're innovating, we're making new um, moves in the industry. It also is going to represent one more barrier to entry, right? One mm. more thing that maybe businesses can't comply with, or we'll, we'll open them up to one more rejection at the, you know, at the port because they weren't sustainable mm. enough, you know, how do we navigate these complexities of these kind of policies coming into play? Thanks. Thanks, Alicia. So, um, as a, as a preliminary kind of, uh, remark, so going back to what you said initially, clearly, I think it's a good point in time in the conversation to talk about policy regulation, but in, in our view here, I would say at co-lead, we, we have a kind of a, a perspective on, on kind of the, the ingredients to, to try to make sure that this systemic change take place. So it's clear you have, I think you have, you clearly have a, a policy and regulatory environment, but it's also about the bottom up and the sum of individual contexts and the step-by-step -step, uh, approach. Um, not, not, nothing will truly happen if it doesn't, if it's not kind of conjunction and, and if both don't, don't meet. And I think that's one of the key challenges we're trying to, to, to address at, at CoLead when engaging with, uh, uh, with with policy uh, makers, decision makers, uh, and trying to bring uh, a, a contribution from the perspective of um, MSMEs, cooperatives, uh, producers into some of these policy or, or standard setting uh, uh, processes, and 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 kind of our our our, our uh, we we summarise kind of our position in terms of the the need to have more kind of policy coherence for for, for development. So we're really looking at the implications of change, uh, but holistically, uh, looking at them on in terms of economic uh, consequences, um, um, in terms of environmental consequences, and in terms of uh, social consequences. So that's a kind of big, uh, big, big position, and and that translates into the recognition that when we talk about sustainability. Again, given the complexity, the diversity of the situations, the sectors, um, it cannot be a one-size-fits-all solution. So we need to have uh, the, this capacity to prioritize, to contextualize, um, 
approaches to uh, the needs uh, which are being uh, defined, uh, identified uh, by the operators themselves. So, and, and this is a big challenge because we need, and, and, and here's kind of another paradox, is that we need to kind of a big shift and a big change in, 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 in a new direction to have fairer, more sustainable, uh, a more sustainable system or systems um, uh, in, in place. But it's going to be a conjunction of having the right policy regulatory environment that stimulates it. But while truly recognizing the sum of the differences and the different situations, the different levels of risks uh, people people are facing all, all over the world. And without having um, this uh, um, policy or regulatory uh, environment uh, that is being perceived as an extra kind of layer of uh, barriers, but as a framework to guide uh, for, 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 for improvement. Now, how does that, what does that mean in practice? If you look at the, the position that has been taken by, and I'm not speaking here, of course, on, on behalf of the, of, of, of the European Union, but just as a European citizen, I mean, it is a clearly an ambitious uh, uh, path that, that has been set. And I think we, when I'm not arguing, and I think a lot of people are not arguing that it's probably the right path uh, to, to be set to the entire kind of Green Deal uh, policy environment, translating into different uh, areas and when it comes to agriculture, it translates into the farm-to-fork strategy, with, of course, uh, a number of consequences for the agricultural sector in Europe, but, of course, also with consequences for the agricultural uh, sectors of uh, countries that trade uh, with, 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 uh, uh, with the EU. And so our, our kind of approach, and, and this has been major part as you said a uh, major part of our work during the past 20 years is 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 understanding these regulatory changes translating them into kind of actionable pra pra practical elements uh, activities that can be um, done and the ownership can be uh, developed by, by operators themselves but we need to bring the changes that are implied we, we need to bring some tangible short-term benefits to them I'm going back to, to my experience in Guatemala and to the realities faced by a farmer, which, which is facing risks like well, no, no other operator is, is facing. I'm not only talking, of course, about Mother Nature, but also the whole range of external factors affecting uh, agricultural value chains. So the type of levels of risks uh, that, that are, are, are bared by individual operators or by an MSME, in light of some of the changes that are being required, we need to find their middle ground to target and focus some quick wins, but also some of the changes that can be uh, brought and, and have kind of, by quick win, I don't necessarily only mean kind of marginal changes that won't make a big difference in terms of environmental, pre but there are some quick, there are always some quick wins which can be, which can be identified. While we have, so it's developing a short, medium, long-term vision, but always bringing it back to some tangible benefits uh, for 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 the operator, and and that's the, our philosophy. That's what's what, what what's guiding us. Now it, it is a challenge, and it is a challenge that is increasing because of the ambition that is set uh, by the European Union. And and so our role is really to try to make sure that these changes, first of all, are identified. It's already a challenge in itself. We have kind of a specific program that looks into this to to monitor the different changes that potentially affect. Um, all operators willing to trade uh, agri-food products with, with the EU. They have I mean, numerous changes. So it's identifying, explaining them. 
and then progressively breaking them down into kind of mm -hmm. concrete actions that can be undertaken. And when we get really at operators level, uh, uh, maybe I'll, I'll stop there, kind of the, the, the perspective I can share. Our, one of the, the, the elements that we've identified over the years is the, the kind of strategic and crucial importance in terms of uh, data. Data, data, data. So the kind of fundamental skills um, which we believe are needed in order to be able to move forward is this capacity at individual level to be looking at, at data, to, to be able to collect, uh, measure, independently from then the certification scheme that you'll be moving uh, uh, towards, independently from the regulatory system you'll be uh, facing when, when selling your producer uh, on, on, on that market. There is a need for data. Once you start looking for data, you can usually identify some very interesting uh, wins. You can identify areas where you can reduce costs, where you can probably work on uh, your yields, etc., etc., etc. And you can reframe that and bring it back into perspective, into kind of a, a journey, a continuous improvement plan on sustainability on all fronts and, and move step by step toward, towards that direction. But it is, yeah. So I'm trying to bring the perspective of our approach that we take when working with uh, MSMEs and at the same time, kind of voice on, on, on the scene uh, for more policy coherence uh, for development, looking really at consequences, but on all fronts and the recognition of these different contexts around the world. And if we go even, even beyond that, of course, the, the different levels of responsibility, different parts of the world uh, have uh, when it comes to the, if we look just at the environmental situation in, 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 in which we are. Your um, feedback really gives me some hope, actually, uh, in the context and in light of sustainability and, and kind of some of the, the the new policy or regulation that could be facing farmers in the future. Uh, because sometimes, and, and this is just also being quite, quite honest, is I, I sometimes feel like we're building more policy upon a broken system. I mean, you, you mentioned it, you know, farmers are still trying to make ends meet, you know, survive catastrophic climate events, you know, they, they have so many issues facing them. And, you know, as we look toward a more sustainable future, obviously, regulation is a big part of that. But, um, you know, making it like you said, tangible and also bringing some relief. That's what I hope. I hope, like you said, bringing some short-term wins, bringing some short-term, um, you know, feel goods even, because mm -hmm. if it's just one more regulation, I, I just feel like we might be on a path of over-regulating. Um, and going in the opposite direction and then going in the opposite direction, basically. Yeah. And clearly there's, there's also that risk, uh, that, that we, which is still there. And I think we're not the only ones working, I think with this philosophy and, I know, I'm sure uh, we're not the only ones. Uh, but again, I'm going back to the scale, the scale, the scale, the scale, the scale of, of, of what we're talking about. So it, it does really require kind of a, a concerted, more collaborative approach. It requires more collective intelligence. If we look at the core skills behind that, which are probably most needed in, in today's world, I, I would personally then identify the, the listening part. I think we, we really need to improve our kind of listening skills. Um, something that I apply, of course, to, to myself, that I want us to apply to ourselves as an organization. And it's something I think we need to apply uh, 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 also through our outreach with, with others in terms of uh, improving our, our listening skills, which is for me the fundamental to be able to start understanding the other ones, or other organizations, other people. We need to listen to, uh, 
listen, to understand, to be able to build solutions uh, together. And if this is not not done, unfortunately, there is the risk that that you've been uh, uh, that you've been talking about, uh, Alicia, which which is very present. And so it's really finding that 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 middle ground, but in a very changing environment. With uh, again, we, we won't repeat it again, but agriculture has a very set a specific set of, of challenges compared to other sectors of, of of the economy because because of the nature of 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 the activity and 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 its overall kind of exposition to uh, exposure to, uh, to, to 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 external factors and, and mother nature which not all sectors uh, are are facing so I, I'm not at all saying here that that it is something easy but I, I think that there is a path there is a path and I was talking about listening. I think we we also cannot get it wrong when when it comes to working on on human capital, on on the competencies, on skill, on information. Um, we know that there, there is a need to 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 also find more people. We we know that a lot of people are looking for work in some parts of the world. We know that a lot of the companies or operators are sort of looking for people that they can't find on the market. So it's also a question of making. Those worlds understand understand each other and creating the conditions to again making also the sector attractive, uh, attractive for uh, new generations, younger generations. For that, there needs to be probably also the course, uh, the, the, this element of systemic change because you get back to the value, how value is shared throughout value chains. Is it is, is it shared fairly? What what goes really back at production level? Uh, and we know that, that it's probably not not the case throughout a number of, of values, not enough the case. So. Yeah, it's a, it's an equation that that is complex, uh, and and but that is the reason why I'm probably still still doing uh, this uh, this job also. It's kind of the the complexity trying trying humbly, modestly to to, to modestly to, to contribute to to this complexity with others. Yeah. But it's uh, it's not easy. I'll, I'll not say it's uh, it's easy. No, it, it isn't easy. And, and I, you know, I've, I'm quite a few conversations into my podcast and, and, and uh, I think everyone uh, is trying to solve these fundamental issues and, and it's not easy. I mean, the solution isn't just out of the box. Here's the turnkey, you know, implement tomorrow. It, it, there's so many um, perspectives to, 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 to take into consideration. So many, in, you know, input, output. Um, yeah. It, it, I, being a policymaker in in their defense is, is a very difficult job. Um, how do you how do you navigate all of those different perspectives? But at the end of the day, one thing holds true in this industry, and that's that we feed the world, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone wants to eat. No one wants to um, go back to a time where you know, like even during COVID, the supermarket shelves were somewhat empty, or even before that. I mean, people romanticize sometimes the the life of living off the farm, but it's tough. I mean, we can't have our desk jobs and we can't, you know, so I think there's this kind of, um, and that's, yeah. I guess my, uh, boy, you know, sometimes I need to remind myself, let's remove all the clutter, all the noise, all the mm, policy and this and that we feed the world. Right. And that is so important. Um, yeah, I, I guess that, that, that leads me to, um, my well, I have a lot of questions I'd like to ask you, but for <laughs> sake of time, um, I, I'd like to hear from you on one last point um, because I think you know it dawned on me also through our conversation. You you work with African um, suppliers very closely. 
um, African suppliers are, are a big part of your um, your kind of membership group. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned previously there's consequences potentially of all the legislation for European suppliers. And I think what we're seeing is a bit of a changing landscape, right? Africa keeps becoming more of a buzzword. Um, Europe, I hear, you know, I had a German um, woman on, she said, you know, we're being basically forced to shut down due to many different reasons in the pork industry and a couple other industries within Germany. Um, what role will Africa play in the future? And that's, it's just a question that's been looming ever since we started the conversation um, that I'd love to get your perspective on. Huh. Oh, again, <laughs> fast, fast and complex question. Uh, I'll try to, to, to shed some light there. I, um, I think first and foremost that the role Africa wants or desires to play is, 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 is something to be defined by, by African leaders and, and themselves. So, so for me, the perspective I'm bringing here is the perspective of, of, a, of, a, of a European, uh, again, of a European citizen. Um, I, I think as a European, uh, we are uh, extremely linked uh, with, with the African continent. Um, and that if we do not make sure to strengthen our links, uh, to be in uh, truly partnerships in win-win situations uh, for the next, uh, for the 21st century, I think we'll be uh, not only uh, missing a, a big opportunity for, for both continents, but also uh, provoking uh, or, or contributing to, to bringing kind of unstable situations, which will affect also uh, other other parts uh, of of the world. So I I think because of demographics, because of uh, the um, uh, because the, de the demographics in Africa, uh, because of the huge potential for growth which is taking play, uh, place, because of uh, the natural resources. Uh, because of the talents, uh, because of the culture, because I, 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 but I'm not speaking objectively, of course, because I've been almost traveling and, and working in partnership um, with uh, with colleagues from from all over the African continent during during the past 50 years, uh, 15 years. But but I'm 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 more than convinced. I I really think that that it is uh, that it is that Africa holds the keys to some of the issues. Uh, we are facing worldwide as as a society, and not only on the on the rational part, but also on 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 in in other dimensions uh, that we haven't explored uh, uh, today. Uh, but I really think we 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 have a lot to uh, to learn, um, and uh, and and uh, but the key is going to be this this idea of having uh, partnerships and and balanced and, and win win uh, uh, situations. And, and we need, but again, I'm going back to the capacity to listen and understand uh, others, understand others from uh, different cultures. Again, Africa uh, and, and Africa, um, it's a bit like the question of, okay, if we look at the international trade in, in agri-food. So if we look at Africa, the African continent, huge diversity in terms of uh, people, cultures, um, which of course are all on the same continent. But uh, that is also for me one one what I've been discovering during the past uh, 15 years um, with uh, specificities, uh, with uh, core, core strengths, uh, um, depending on, on, on where you, you, you are in the continents. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, 
it's fascinating and I, and I think yeah it's not it's not um it's not a hype i mean it's for me we, we this is something we we are living really on a on a on a daily basis this is where part yeah. part of the future is 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 currently being uh, being written and not only the future for the african continent and africans but the also part of the future of 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 the world um i i i think you said future in africa in the same sentence three times so i'm going to i'm going to hold on to that i think you're right i think there is a huge um unknown um but potentially extremely interesting synergy that could happen between the two continents and honestly i, I couldn't agree with you more and, and and i appreciate you sharing that that last insight on my on my slight curveball question um here toward the end of our episode so last question um uh, before we conclude is there any final words you'd like to share with the audience i mean you've been doing this for 15 plus years you're passionate is your passion for the industry is obvious. I mean, there's no hiding it. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with with the audience? Oof, um, thanks. So uh, maybe as a conclusion, coming back to a couple of things that, that I've said, I think we, the step-by-step -step building, brick by brick, I mean, it's important. Relationship towards time, uh, some changes take time. We need to allow that, that time uh, and give us also the space uh, to, to be able to, to drive those, uh, those changes. Um, the values, we haven't spoken about values, of course, the, the values of, of co-lead, uh, but also, of course, which, which I share, uh, but I also have my, my own personal values in, 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 in terms of what I, what I want to, to try to, to transmit, to start with, with, with my kids. Huh? And, and I think today, uh, we need, uh, this relationship towards, towards work, uh, the commitment, uh, effort, um, that, that is important because of, again, the challenges and it, and it will require work. And, and, and efforts and I think this is something we need uh, we need we need to, to clearly keep in mind uh, in our societies uh, uh, today throughout uh, throughout the world um, I'll come back to the core skill listening uh, listening 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 and of course being able to after the listening part uh, translate it into kind of tangible um, activities uh, we need to be doing so clearly we understanding part is fundamental i mean but we also need to be to be to continue to do and do faster on a larger scale uh for all the reasons that we've been uh, uh talking about uh, uh during the past uh, during the past hour alicia wonderful um so, so much good content there from values to being in action um i i couldn't agree with you more and and i'd like to we'll, we'll have to stay in touch and maybe we'll do another podcast on specifically the africa euro um dynamic and how that plays into some of the the kind of maybe um problems that we're facing as an industry i think there's some interesting connections there to, to unpack um but we'll conclude for today thank you so much for your time jeremy it was such a pleasure talking with you today and also learning more about co-lead no thank you thank you alicia it was a pleasure the pleasure was mine and thanks again for the opportunity looking forward to speaking with you soon again thank you this podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.